I recently switched to Old Spice. It's just weird, you know, because I like keep getting whiffs of it and it's like not a smell I associate yeah. with myself. It's a smell I associate with men and I'm like, it's like a confusing mix of emotions. I, I know that I did the same thing but with like Dove Man, but it's still like a very sort of like typical male scent. I like it. Yeah, it's like you get like mildly turned yeah. on, but then you're like, wait, <laughs> is what <laughs> you just you just are that you're just mildly turned on yeah. by yourself and that's nice yeah two things first thing we did this a while ago but please tell your friends about us if you like us tell your friends about us and the second thing is that we now have a active telegram channel and if you don't have telegram it's a encrypted messenger app with a lot of other good features and you should get it because it's fun it's the best one. It's the best one. And when you get the Telegram application, you can subscribe to our channel, which will have pictures and videos. And Lily's going to start taking pictures of Petersburg and posting thoughts and stuff there. It's a nice way to get other content that we're not going to be putting on any other platform. And it, it arrives in a UI that's quite nice. This is the meat of the podcast. <laughs> Wait, have you ever, have you ever caught your, have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? Yeah. 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 This shit feels like I won't ever make it home. Traffic's backed up, I got to get off of this road. This is She's in Russia, I'm Smith, and I'm in Brooklyn. And I'm Lily, and I'm in St. Petersburg. Okay, Lily. What? What are we talking about today? Today we're talking about the infamous St. Petersburg Troll Factory, also known as the Internet Research Agency, and the recent indictment against 13 Russian nationals and three Russian companies, one of which is the Internet Research Agency. All of these people and companies that are affiliated with or directly employed by the quote-unquote troll factory. Who published this official accusation? Our boy Mueller. Our boy Mueller, also known as Robert S. Mueller III. Oh my god, guess what his middle name is? Simon. No. Sam. No. It's Swan. (laughs) So, Mr. Robert Swan Mueller III (laughs) is the United States Special Counsel investigating alleged Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential elections, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So he did. He published the goddamn indictment, 37 pages long. This very involved 37 page document, the indictment, was published on February 16th. Yeah, and it's already been chewed to death, and so we're just coming through, going to beat that dead horse one more time. It's been chewed, but it hasn't been chewed by people who know Know how to chew. (laughs) So the three things that we're going to go over today, we're going to introduce what the Troll Factory is, and you might already know this, but we're going to give probably some detail that you don't necessarily know. We're going to go over the indictment itself, and then we're going to go over the response to the indictment, both from the American side, media and government, and the Russian side, media and government. So, Lily, shortly, what is the Troll Factory? Officially, the Troll Factory, that's not an official name. It's a company that is privately owned that operates in St. Petersburg, and that generally you can imagine as like a giant media company creating different kinds of content, mostly for a Russian audience. Right. And I think that's extremely crucial to remember throughout this conversation because oftentimes the way that American media reports on it is it really zeroes in on like the English department, which we're going to get into, portion of this company, when in reality, this company is quite large, you know, a few hundred people or whatever. And like Lily said, the majority of its content is actually for a Russian audience through legitimate news websites. Right, exactly. And what we mean by news sites will make more sense when we talk about the structure of the company. Okay, before we get to that, why, though, is the Troll Factory so well known and infamous? 
what America knows it for is the English language content, which is like a small percentage of the content produced by this company. The employees of this company that work specifically on creating English language content for an American audience and content that was created specifically during the period of 2014 to 2016 through the elections. Through the elections, yeah. And and by content, like, let's be specific here, content for the most part takes the form of, like, Facebook accounts, Twitter accounts, Instagram accounts, Facebook groups, those sorts of things that are, like, fake accounts run by people that work for the troll factory that post in English for an American audience. Yeah, so this is really important. They are being accused of posting from fake accounts, so it's, like, posing as Americans posting to other Americans about a really wide range of topics ideologically. So the, a range, a topic that spans the sort of political spectrum in America. So everything from on the left posting about like gay rights, Black Lives Matter, on the right posting against immigration. In favor of gun rights. Yeah, maybe pro-gun rights. And these different posts, the sort of main thing that unites them is their aggravating nature. Like they all sort of seek to aggravate existing political issues within the U.S. Right. So given all these, you know, divisive posts, allegedly divisive posts, the allegation, the overall allegation in the indictment and in American media for the past several months since it was clear that this kind of activity had been going on was that these posts and activity on social media were an attempt to interfere in the 2016 presidential election by undermining American belief in any given candidate and by undermining general belief in the democratic system. So as as Lily introduced it, like the troll factory is not only this subset that posts in English for an American audience. The majority of the company is other stuff. So can you break down how the company was structured during the 2016 election and then we'll kind of get into what the company is actually doing now? Yeah. So so yeah, again, like the way we're talking about over a year ago, so the way it was structured then has changed and that's been sort of like documented by Russian media. But if we're going back to the election time, the majority of this company, which again is a few hundred, like reports is reported to be a few hundred people strong. So less than 500, more than 100. And most of those people were in an office on 55 Savushkin Street, which is like now an infamous address, very much associated with this company. But it's just a normal office building. There are four floors and each floor basically is a different department. And so this is this is information from Russian media, namely very big business journal called RBC, who's done a number of investigative pieces, like really detailed investigations, especially in 2017, but like before that as well, on this company. So I'll just go through the floors. The first floor is RBC calls the media holding. And when we're talking about news, that's where basically a bunch of different news websites worked like journalists and like a general sort of like newsroom situation with with a generally pro-government slant right right so yeah so so at one point at the point that we're talking about there were about 16 different sites news sites the most well-known of which is called ria fan like fan some of them are maybe like dinkier, but Fawn is really, really popular. Like tens of millions of visitors a month. Altogether, these 16 publications get 50 million visits a month. So that's quite a lot. Sure, it's like leaning in one direction. It's like slightly biased. But we're talking about news journalism. You can question the quality if you want, but we're not talking about trolling in this case. Correct, yeah. And people read it and just like now that RBC's published a list of these journals, these 16 journals, like they sort of have a bad name because they're really associated with the overall troll factory. But at the same time, people were just reading them like they were just reading news websites. Mm -hmm. So that's something to keep in mind. Russian people. It's all Russian. Russian content. Next floor. Floor two. Floor two. Going up. So this the second floor is where basically you can think of it's like the people who... The people who, like, support the other... Yeah, it's called the IT department often. For IT, it would be, like, getting servers and setting up IP addresses and stuff. Making websites. Also making websites. Graphic design. Programmers. Yeah, graphic designers. So the people who just don't write the content, but who, like, make all the sites. And then 
The third floor, and this is where we get the infamous name of the entire company is the third floor because on the third floor are where the trolls work like the real trolls this department is probably the largest department in the company at the time and it's been described by a number of whistleblowers starting in 2015 who described sort of like this factory like this is where the troll factory name comes from atmosphere where there's just like a bunch of people and They work on shifts, like a day shift and a night shift. These are the people who create different fake personas online and, you know, in on various platforms from Facebook to VK to LiveJournal to some other blog platforms or something and write content constantly, just produce content for the, on those platforms. In Russian. In Russian, very importantly. These trolls are Russian trolls. I mean, they're Russian people and they're writing in Russian for a Russian audience. And again, they're like their media friends on the first floor, generally either pro-Putin or anti-opposition. Right, they're like paid propagandists. Yeah, they go around on, first of all, on the media sites of the company, they leave comments or they go on other like news sites and leave comments there's the commenting people then there's the people who write shit on twitter there's the people who write things and who like have whole blogs they're sort of like influencers opinion influencers on the internet but like questionable very questionable how much they influence but this is all about russian content and the russian internet so we haven't mm -hmm. even gotten to american stuff okay and then on the fourth floor is the department that goes by several names including the American department, but it's the department that creates content in English. Yeah, and, and when we discuss the indictment later, they call it the Translator Project. So yeah, so the indictment, Mueller's indictment refers to it as the Translators Project. The media in the U.S. has referred to it as the American department, and so has Russian media, and Russian media has also called it the Foreign Department. RBC has, has said the largest number of people that have worked in that particular department, RBC named, was 100, and the indictment said... 80 in 2016 so there's that and those are people who and this is according to rbc's research and then also the indictment published uh, content for an american audience which we've already described on facebook on twitter on instagram mm -hmm. of this large company this whole company i just described that's made up of that was at the time four floors in a building is known outside of russia is known in, in the american media space only for this small part of the fourth floor confusingly, which aren't part of the troll, troll department. And then RBC reported fairly recently, right, that the building had moved or that companies within the building, like departments within the building, had moved to other locations, right? Right. Specifically the first floor, the media people have now dispersed. First they moved to a neighboring building. This is RBC's information. And then they moved to like a neighboring building, like on the same street or very close by. Mm -hmm. And then they moved to a totally different neighborhood, to an office building. And that's where Vaughn and several of the other news publications are now. And apparently, like, sort of unknown where everyone else is, but, like, there still are people at Savushkina. All right, so we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll be diving into that indictment.
now we're back and we're just gonna go through the indictment a little bit i actually have a clip of rosenstein to play that i think would be good to introduce it okay the indictment includes eight criminal counts count one alleges a criminal conspiracy to defraud the united states by all of the defendants the defendants allegedly conspired to defraud america by impairing the lawful functions of the federal election commission the United States Department of Justice, and the Department of State. Those uh, organizations of the U.S. government are responsible for administering federal requirements for disclosure of foreign involvement in certain domestic activities. Count two charges conspiracy to commit wire fraud and bank fraud by Internet Research Agency and two of the individual defendants. And counts three through eight charge aggravated identity theft by Internet Research Agency and four individuals. Now, there is no allegation in this indictment that any American was a knowing participant in this illegal activity. There is no allegation in the indictment that the charge conduct altered the outcome of the 2016 election. I want to caution you that everyone charged with a crime is presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty in court. Which, of course, American media promptly forgot. Yeah, I love that, though. So American. Until proven guilty in court, they are innocent. Also, it's just really important, the second point that he made, which is that, let me repeat, <laughs> that there is no indication that any of these people actually had any effect on the election. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we're going to step through this thing. First, we're going to talk about who was indicted, kind of the key players, and then exactly like what happened. Look, people. <laughs> There were 13 people and three companies indicted by Mueller. We're going to talk about four of those people, four key players, and how they're connected to the companies. Okay? Okay. Okay. Number one, the big daddy warbucks, <laughs> Yevgeny Prigozhin. So Prigozhin's relationship to this whole thing is that he's allegedly the sole like financer of the Internet Research Agency. So uh, allegedly, like, his personal money, which he allegedly has a lot of, is funding this whole operation that is, like, all the media the media people, all the whole company that I described. Who is Prigozhin? He is a wealthy Russian businessman who is sort of, like, jokingly referred to as Putin's chef because he is a restaurateur, restaurateur, and has, like, personally knows Putin and has served him food. Prigozhin's way of financing... The uh, Internet Research Agency also includes the involvement of another company, his company, called Concord. And it has like, it's like Concord Consulting, which is lol because consulting. And then underneath that is Concord Catering, catering company, because he's a chef, sort of. Basically, the like finances of those two companies are intricately connected between Concord and the Internet Research Agency. There's just like money funneling through and they it seems that they share a, uh, you know, like accounting department kind of. Right. And that that information was actually revealed like a few years ago, right? Through that anonymous yeah. international hack. Yes, there was an email hack in 2014 that revealed these like intricate sort of bureaucratic connections between the two companies in terms of money being moved around. But just to be clear, just just to be clear, Prigozhin has uh, never been officially accused of being the funder or financier of the Internet Research Agency before. Russian media, as a rule, refers to him as the rumored funder or the alleged in the indictment. This is the first time he's being officially accused. Persons two and three. So the next couple people I just want to point out from the indictment are two people, both named Mikhail. <laughs> God, it's a comedy. Mikhail Bristov and Mikhail Burchik. And they are both, like, allegedly the directors of the Internet Research Agency as a whole, like the overall company. And then, next, number four. The next one is Jehun Aslanov, who is allegedly the head of the so-called American department, specifically. So that's the real enemy of the people. <laughs> yeah, or the translator project, as it's so-called in the indictment. In the indictment, yeah, the translator project. That's all four people. And I just want to point out that all four of those key players that I just named have been named before. They were in an, a big investigation piece by RBC in October 2017 that detailed specifically the campaigns for American audiences from this company. But actually, the other guys have been named before that. So anyway, they've been out and about for a long time. 
Okay, so now we know who is being indicted. So, Smith, what are these people being accused of? Yeah, I mean, as Rosenstein said in that press conference, there's like these eight counts that can be grouped into three categories. The first is that they defraud the United States. And the stuff that falls under that category is like the fake social media accounts, getting visas under false pretenses. So some of the... Russian nationals listed in this indictment who we didn't focus in on actually visited the U.S. as a way of gathering intelligence. And they went to a bunch of different states like Arizona and Colorado and Nevada, I think. And on their visas, obviously, they did not indicate that they were coming to America for the purpose of gathering intelligence for the infamous troll factory. So, yeah, we have this Activity on social media, the defrauding the visa offices, things like campaign contributions. So within this indictment are listed things where remotely, you know, from this Petersburg office, individuals within the American department would donate money or resources or in some cases ideas to like (laughs) local Trump for president chapters or other organizations that were organizing on the ground events. So that's the sort of thing that falls under this conspiracy to defraud the United States. And then we also have conspiracy to commit wire fraud and bank fraud. That entails taking the identification of U.S. citizens in order to open bank accounts and purchasing credit cards and account numbers online to defraud PayPal. Incidentally, one of the people who sold those credit card and account numbers online, an American from California, was recently indicted as well in a separate document. And then the last set of counts in this indictment is aggravated identity theft, which is using another's identity to commit felony bank and wire fraud. Before we get into the specificities of what was done on social media, etc., I just want to note that when we say defrauding the U.S., what are the actual institutions that are being defrauded? There are three. There is the Federal Election Commission, which regulates contributions to campaigns, and we'll get into how that was potentially defrauded. There is the U.S. Department of Justice, which administers the Foreign Agents Registration Act, otherwise known as Fara or Fara, according to us. And if you remember, we did an episode a while back about RT and the U.S.'s requirement that it registers a foreign agent. If you want to know more detail about that, go back and listen to that episode. It essentially requires that people lobbying or working on behalf of a foreign government within the U.S. register with the U.S. And then the last is the U.S. Department of State, which is responsible for the issuance of non-immigrant visas to foreign individuals. So, so Lily, can you like walk through maybe some specific examples in this indictment and then maybe elsewhere of the kind of activity that we see on social media from people out of the troll farm? Yeah, so as we mentioned before, a lot of the social media accounts posing to be American, they really did span the political spectrum. The indictment does note that. It notes that, like, these groups could be connected with anything from Black Lives Matter to, like, anti-immigration issues in the U.S., but they don't cite the actual content. We're going to give some examples specifically of posts from Facebook from 2016. These are Facebook posts allegedly made by employees of the internet research agency that were sponsored, meaning they paid money so that more people would see it. So it's an ad basically on Facebook. The first one, as an example, is from a group entitled LGBT United. It's like a very pro-Bernie post. You can color your own Bernie hero. There is a new coloring book called Buff Bernie, a coloring book for Berniacs. It's full of very attractive doodles of Bernie Sanders in muscle poses. The author of the book said that she wanted people to stop taking this whole thing too serious. The coloring is something that suits for all people. So I want to point out a few things. The picture that goes along with this text is, like, as it's described, a muscular Bernie Sanders who's, like, basically naked. He's wearing a Speedo in different colors. The language is, like, clearly not native. I've been having a hard time telling, like, reading these things. Like, would I realize that it was non-native if I didn't 
already know that it was not native. And I agree, there's definitely awkwardness to it, but I'm not sure if I would necessarily pinpoint it as not American. You wouldn't be like, this is not American. I think that you would feel odd. If you actually read it, you'd be like, what's wrong with that? I mean, the coloring is something that suits for all people. Those little like <laughs> those little grammatical errors or being like, yeah. it's full of very attractive doodles. And then like saying, stop taking this whole thing too serious. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so give some other examples. And then from the other end of the, let's say, political spectrum, we have one from a Facebook group entitled Army of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And the image is like a meme kind of thing, like an image with the text with Jesus and Satan arm wrestling. And the post text reads, Today Americans are able to elect a president with godly moral principles. Hillary is a Satan. And her crimes and lies had proved just how evil she is. They had proved. And even though Donald Trump isn't a saint by any means, he's at least an honest man and he cares deeply for this country. My vote goes to him. The Jesus arm wrestling with Satan, like accompanying image, um, image macro, has text like above the image and text below it. And the above text says, Satan, if I win, Clinton wins. Jesus, not if I can help it. <laughs> and then at the bottom, it says, press like to help Jesus win. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> this will be the last example. This one doesn't say it's sponsored. So maybe this was just a post from a Facebook group entitled Blacktivist. The text of the post says, Black Panthers were dismantled by U.S. government because they were black men and women standing up for justice and equality. And then there's an image of a line of Black Panthers with the Blacktivist logo. I guess they made their own logo. And there's text that says, Never forget that the Black Panthers, comma, group formed to protect black people from the KKK, comma, was dismantled by U.S. government, but the KKK exists today. Oh, I see. A group, it's supposed to say. I think we understand, like, we're not looking at a single ideological <laughs> goal by any means. We're looking at a smattering of different positions, mimicking, all of these accounts are mimicking, you know, like, real people who have opinions in the U.S. Let's talk about engagement metrics, shall we? Yeah. We just want to give you a little bit of perspective from Facebook themselves. In September 2017, Facebook first published on their blog some data about, like, how many actual ads were made by the troll factor, et cetera, et cetera. And then just a month later in October, they appeared before Congress and testified about this data. Before we give you the actual data, when they testified and when they wrote their blog post, they talked about ads being made by Russians. So they didn't actually name the Internet Research Agency. So Smith, can you give us that perspective? Yeah, yeah. So like in September of 2017, they disclose on their blog that they've identified 3,000 ads that they say were, quote, affiliated with one another and likely operated out of Russia, end quote. And like I said, they don't mention the IRA in particular. These 3,000 ads cost approximately $100,000 in total. And the indictment itself alleges that the Troll Factory had about a million dollars, a little bit more per month budget. So the ads cost approximately $100,000 between 2015 and 2017, just to give you an overall idea of the amount of money that was being spent. And Facebook stated in September that these ads had been seen by approximately 10 million unique U.S.-based users. And then in prepared remarks to the U.S. House Intelligence Committee in October, in anticipation of their October hearing, Facebook stated that during the same two-year period from 2015 to 2017, a total of 29 million unique USB users were directly served ads and non-sponsored Russian posts, and that 126 million users were served indirectly via friends' activities like sharing or liking or whatever. Okay, but what does this mean like in the broader context. And the Washington Post had a nice perspective piece written by Patrick Ruffini. And, and what he points out is that in this period of time between 2015 and 2017, in which 29 million unique U.S.-based users were directly served ads and non-sponsored Russian posts, Americans saw a total of 33 trillion posts on their Facebook news feeds, which makes the Russian-affiliated 3,000 ads like a, a, quote, tiny share. And he also notes that the combined $81 million spent on Facebook ads by Trump and Clinton campaigns makes this Russian-linked ad buy, which is 
$100,000 look pretty piddly in comparison. When you hear like 29 million or you hear 126 million users saw these ads or, or non-sponsored posts, you can start to think that it's really impactful and like those are massive numbers, but it's really important to keep it in the context of like, okay, Americans see a total of 33 trillion posts and the amount of money that's being spent by the campaigns themselves so dwarf the number making it almost negligible in a numbers context yeah i mean that's super important even if they had spent a million dollars it would still be 180th of the amount spent by the actual campaign that's when you get into the question of sort of like effectiveness etc which it's still unanswered well Mueller and co dismissed from the beginning they're like but it wasn't effective we don't care about the effectiveness but of course of course the american media like can't keep that in mind when they're reporting on no. it they like go ape they're like this attacked your democracy and when you saw bernie half naked you voted for Trump. Yeah. So like I just want to state for myself that I don't think what the troll factory is doing was like right or okay by any stretch of the imagination, especially the identity theft stuff. That being said, the fact that this indictment exists at all kind of lends itself to the belief that these campaigns led by the troll factory were effective in any way and I personally believe they had effectively no impact on the outcome of the election yeah Smith and I are not trying to say that like it's okay and good that these people did this it's just we're trying to look at the sort of larger picture here and the implications of the fact that the United States government is spending their time indicting these people right And some of the people that were indicted who we didn't list are people that are listed as like translator project contributors or like specialists, which in theory could be people that are pretty young and were like at their first job, basically. And they happen to speak English and know how to use the Internet. And now they're listed on this like really intense indictment and their full names are published and they can't travel to America. Right. And not just America, because there are countries that support America that also you can't travel to. I guess part of the sentiment I just want to communicate is that for potentially a large number of people that worked at the Troll Factory, regardless of the department that they worked in, they weren't there for ideological purposes. Like they were there because it paid well compared to other jobs in St. Petersburg and Many of them were young and able to get jobs out of college and maybe they just in some ways got unlucky in that they spoke English and they knew how to use the internet. I'm not excusing that behavior because I personally I definitely wouldn't do something like that where I'm like working for a company that's aiming to undermine specific sentiments in another country. Like I don't really think that that's an okay thing to do. But some of these people are just like regular people that chose to have shitty jobs. Yeah. And I mean, I think the majority of the people probably are like that um, in the company. And I think what you're saying is some of the people listed in the indictment. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. The first whistleblower Ludmila Savchuk she talked about this sort of atmosphere and environment of like people sort of being she kind of describes it in like a as like a nihilistic thing like people just not caring about what they're doing which gives it sort of darker edge of like I just don't give a fuck but I just think the sort of everyday grind thing just like yeah like what you said maybe some of these people who are indicted who are like quoted as translators for example it's just like they spoke English and they like wanted a job even if it's like they knew the bigger idea of what they were doing I don't know I'm just guessing but I'm pretty sure that those people were not expecting to ever be listed in a U.S. document (laughs) indictment so the internet research agency IRA is also accused of not only doing things on the internet but also doing things on the ground as in organizing people, protests, meetings, again, of various sort of political stripes. So can you give some examples? Okay, so yeah, this on the ground stuff kind of manifested in two ways. There's one where like an IRA troll posing as a fellow American activist will essentially like organize via real Americans on the ground some sort of rally or march. Yeah, and how that works, they just like message these people on Facebook or something. Yeah, and and I can actually read one of these. So this is from August 2nd, 2016. And a person going by the name Matt Skyber, which is one of these personas of, of an internet research agency troll, sends a private message from Facebook to a real Facebook account of Florida for Trump, which is set up to assist then-candidate Trump in the state of Florida. And this is what Matt Skyber, in quotes, writes. Hi there. 
I'm a member of Being Patriotic online community. Listen, we've got an idea. Florida is still a purple state and we need to paint it red. If we lose Florida, we lose America. We can't let it happen, right? What about organizing a huge pro-Trump flash mob in every Florida town. We are currently reaching out to local activists and we've got the folks who are okay to be in charge of organizing their events almost everywhere in Florida. However, we still need your support. What do you think about that? Are you in? Touche to them for using huge in a like ironic way. Yeah, and so these things actually did manifest and at one particular rally, they actually organized to have a actor hired dressed as Hillary in prison garb and in a cage I don't know I didn't see pictures of that I would like to see pictures of that to like really confirm it's true or they would do things like they would pay or for signs or they would choose what the signs would say and have them printed and sent to these offices so so those sorts of things so then another alleged event that took place in this indictment is quote, in or around late June 2016, defendants and their co-conspirators, so referring to the individuals listed as part of this indictment, used the Facebook group United Muslims of America to promote a rally called Support Hillary, Save American Muslims. And it was held on July 9th, 2016 in the District of Columbia. Defendants and their co-conspirators recruited a real U.S. person to hold a sign depicting Clinton and a quote attributed to her stating, I think Sharia law will be a powerful new direction of freedom. Generally, I'm like curious about how well attended these events were and like if they actually took took place and I would like to see more like photo evidence also I think RBC if I remember correctly said there were a total of 40 events overall but yeah like we're not we don't know the level of success like maybe an event was like three people (laughs) right so yeah you definitely like even given like uh, our desire to put this in context and give scale like you do have people interacting authentically with these non-authentic personas online and in person and actual money being donated to and given to organizations in favor of Trump in this particular indictment. But there were also rallies organized on the same day following the election of Trump, both in favor of Trump and anti-Trump in favor of Hillary. Here's a good time to point out something, which is that previous to this indictment in RBC and and other publications that are reporting on this more responsibly, they reported that there was never any explicit direction from the Internet Research Agency to support any one specific candidate. Rather, it was to sow this kind of divisiveness on social media. When RBC reported that, they reported that as something they heard from a person inside the internet research agency they had like they cite multiple sources anonymous sources yeah citing that no particular candidate specifically not particularly trump somebody made a point of saying that because that's sort of like the angle that the u.s uses a lot and is made in this indictment yeah and so by contrast the indictment says posts around the election period were pro-trump anti-hillary and also before that were pro-bernie Yeah, and then also anti-other Republican candidates like Cruz and Rubio. Right. What's confusing is that the indictment says that, like in whose favor were the posts, but at the same time they they use the wording like the point of this was to sow discord or like, you know, what we were saying before, aggravate um, existing issues. So they acknowledge that there was the point was not like aimed at one candidate, but at the same time they say that it was mostly anti-Hillary and pro-Trump and then they go on to list mostly pro-Trump examples which is like a selection of information. I think it would be worthwhile for somebody to do a thorough analysis and really be like okay was there was the content truly in favor of one candidate or was it truly erratic in nature because this indictment certainly paints the picture that it was in favor of Trump and that might be in order to set up for future indictments I'm not sure but it's not necessarily accurate. So keep that in mind when you're reading these examples that this doesn't actually paint a full picture of the type of content that was being posted. To remind you, the other two things are like bank fraud and identity theft. Do you, do you want to just point out anything specific, Mrs. Smith? Not, not really. I mean, I think that what was happening was that the IRA was buying social security numbers and credit cards and different identifying information online in order to open bank accounts in the U.S. um, that were then used to 
fund certain events or in the reverse direction the IRA was actually paid by presumably activists within the U.S. to post things on their Facebook groups. Advertising. Yeah advertising. The IRA was essentially selling ad space. While we're just sort of looking at the big picture here I also just want to point out one very large elephant in the indictment. (laughs) A A thing that was really left out is nowhere in the indictment is there any statement about the Internet Research Agency and or Prigozhin's connections to the Russian government or basically the Russian government in general? So the Russian government knowing about this happening, the Russian government yeah. wanting this to happen, agreeing, <laughs> disagreeing, not wanting it to happen, you know, like yeah. nothing. And yeah. that that's it's a big elephant and it's in that, the room. it's a very big elephant it's in yeah. the indictment room which again american media just like loves to ignore yeah because we've seen in american coverage of the whole this whole process especially involving the troll factory um not only media but also like facebook themselves and twitter and google kind of just throwing around the term russian like not even saying the internet research agency but just like russian nationals did this russians did that <laughs> russian it's just like it comes from a russian ip address at the end of the day that's what they're saying We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about responses to the indictment. We're back and we're going to talk about the reactions to this indictment, both from Russian and American media and Russian and American governments. So let's start with the American governments, starting with old Trumpington. I think he was pretty happy about this indictment and I'll read his tweet. Russia started their anti-U.S. campaign in 2014, long before I announced that I would run for president. The results of the election were not impacted. The Trump campaign did nothing wrong. No collusion. And then we get other responses from people like Paul Ryan, quote, we have known that Russia meddled in the election, but these indictments detail the extent of the subterfuge. The Russians engaged in a sinister and systematic attack on our political system. It was a conspiracy to subvert the process and take aim at democracy itself, Ryan said. Today's announcement underscores why we need to follow the facts and work to protect the integrity of future elections. They were sinister because they were genetically born sinister. Yeah, they're predisposed to sinister activity. Republican Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska. Mueller just put Moscow on notice. This ought to be a wake-up call to Washington. Putin's shadow war is aimed at undermining Americans' trust in our institutions. We know Russia is coming back in 2018 and 2020. We have to take this threat seriously. I actually somewhat agree with him there. Like, I think that this sort of activity is something to take seriously, but it's being taken seriously incorrectly. Like, if this sort of thing becomes genuinely more sophisticated and like the language gets better and they learn how to better use social media to sway public opinion, I think that is something that is actually a potential real threat that any government could do and that should be taken seriously. But I don't think the particular activities that were exhibited, you know, during the 2016 election had the effect and thus should not be taken seriously. Yeah. And also here's an example of using Putin, just throwing him in there. Right, right. Putin's shadow war. And then I think this is from the Washington Post. 
reached out to Susie Wiles, who was co-chair of the Trump campaign in Florida in August 2016 and later became the campaign's chief Florida staffer. And she said in response, it's not the way I do business. It's not the way the Trump campaign in Florida did business. It is spooky. It is awful. It makes you look over your shoulder. It shouldn't happen. I'm anxious for this to be uncovered so this never happens again. Yeah, generally the Republican response has just been like, this is bad, but it has nothing to do with us, which is not wrong. So the the American media response was sort of mixed. I mean, I know I've been ragging on them throughout this whole episode. And one of half of the response has been the like classic Russians, Russians, Russians response. For example, in this piece in the New York Times, the CIA has conducted such operations for decades, but both Mr. Mueller's indictment and an intelligence assessment last year present a startling example, unprecedented in its scope and audacity of a foreign government working to help elect an American president. Oh, let's just rip that apart. First off, yeah, the scope, which like we've already kind of feel like provided a fair amount of evidence that the scope was actually fairly minimal. It being audacious, I don't know. I think there are examples of America impeding other elections that are much more audacious. Yeah, it's it's so fucked up that it says unprecedented in its audacity. The other thing that you want to say, I think, is just again noting that this says of a foreign government working to help elect an American president. Again, government was not in the uh, in the indictment and it hasn't been explicitly proved in any way anywhere maybe in the cia's brains and then the washington post also said friday's indictment provides the most exhaustive description to date of allegations about russian interference in the election describing an 80 person team with specialists in graphics data analysis and search engine optimization that's set to con americans online what they mean by that what they mean by that is like we're dumb and didn't read the rbc thing back in october well it's not about being dumb what they mean is not the most extensive thing ever, but the most extensive thing in English. Because things that are English are real and things that are not in English are fake. I think then my favorite quote from this like kind of genre of thing is in Newsweek, they say it is imperative to intensify. So they're quoting things from the indictment. It is imperative to intensify criticizing Hillary Clinton. Then this is Newsweek's language. One of the hackers was told, according to the indictment. Oh my God, Newsweek is totally conflating hackers and trolls. That's amazing. It's just Russiagate in a sentence. Yeah, yes, yeah. And it's really important that you mentioned American meddling in other countries' affairs, elections, who runs the country. The true American pastime. The, like Our national pastime is involving ourselves in other governments' affairs. And in an effective way, arguably. Effectively and on a government level explicitly, not some like random rich guy who likes the government. Wants to endear himself to the Shelling out money for Facebook ads for fuck's sake. I mean, it hurts me inside. And this is where I get like, it's not so much, I'm not trying to defend the Internet Research Agency, but it, it really like hurts on like a deep horrible dark humor level the fact that the u.s government is accusing people of buying 3,000 facebook ads when the oh just like talk about audacity i mean seriously and no one like that's the most audacious thing i could like think of you just again you just can't make these things up it's just so absurdly bizarre we're talking about the u.s fucking government i mean we're talking about government scale meddling very like effectively with a lot of money <laughs> versus like 50 people on the top floor of like some building and it's, like, it's like 50 hacker trolls wrote a facebook post it's like what are you even talking about right now what is going on but I, I do want to say there has been like a fair amount of responses to the indictment that are also like kind of more in line with our particular ideology. So, for example, Slate wrote an article sort of responding to this and being like, OK, what is the point of the indictments? And I'm just going to quote them here. So they're saying like there may be uh, domestic advantages to the indictment. The fanfare surrounding a big public announcement of these charges may boost morale in the U.S. and instill confidence that this situation is being handled. But mostly the indictment just makes the U.S. government sound a little bit incompetent and very much at a loss for what to do next. After all, did the State Department expect people to declare on their visa applications that they wanted to travel to the U.S. for the purpose of interfering with an election or organizing political rallies or meeting with campaign officials? Okay, do you want to... You want to delve into what the Russians said? 
So from the Russian side, I have I have media response, I have government response, and I have some responses from those indicted. Muduzo, which is an independent media publication by and for Russians, but based in Riga, Latvia, their response was generally sarcastic, kind of. It was sort of just like, here's another thing in the like ongoing meddling case, also doesn't have any proof. Sarcastic in the sense that it emphasizes the lack of impact part and is sort of just like why are we even talking about this and then channel one like a for example of state media was even more belittling than medusa and sarcastic and was just like some list of people like just some lists they pulled out of their asses and also really heavily emphasized the fact that mueller admitted that there wasn't like an effect from all of this on the outcome of the presidential elections And in the first paragraph of the article, it just says, then the question arises, what are we talking about? And that actually, that sentiment, just to talk about sort of like people in general, I saw on Twitter, just like random people posing that sentiment a lot of just being like, so there was no effect on the elections. So what is the point of this indictment? That thing, which we've now covered, I think, fairly clearly. The day of the indictment, Dmitry Peskov, who is the president's press secretary didn't make a comment because he said he hadn't had a chance to read the indictment but the ministry of foreign affairs made a comment that was basically like okay you're talking about scale again being like 13 people versus the u.s government basically and then says the word absurd and then a few days later on february 19th peskov actually makes a statement he says we didn't see any substantial evidence of someone interfering in the domestic affairs He said the U.S. indictment, quote, mentions Russian citizens, but we heard the accusations against the Russian state, that the Russian state, the Kremlin, and the Russian government were involved. Meaning, like, he's just pointing out that that is weird because none of that was in the indictment. Nothing about the government. Okay, and then what did people who were actually indicted say? Okay, so Prigozhin, first of all, he said he wasn't concerned. I'm not concerned at all about the indictment. And then he made a statement This is the quote. Americans are very impressionable people. They see what they want to see. I respect them a lot. If they want to see the devil, let them see it. Very poetic. Yeah. And then RBC was able to collect responses from several other people indicted, but they range from like a couple of people denied that they worked at the company at all. A couple of people declined to comment. One person, Gleb Vasilchenko, said that that could be anyone, but that's not him. It's just someone with the same name as him, which is a realistic thing to say in Russia. A lot of people have the same names. <laughs> and then lastly, RBC got a comment from Jay, who is allegedly the head of the American department, saying, I just do social media management and I don't think you can get sanctioned for that. All right, that's the episode. As always, be sure to subscribe to us on whatever platform you use. A little side note is we've started being part of Radio Public's Paid Listens program, which means if you download Radio Public and you listen to our podcast on that application, we get a little bit of money. So if you're feeling generous, please do that. You don't have to pay. Also, follow us on Twitter and Arena and subscribe to our Telegram channel by searching She's in Russia in the Telegram app. Subscribe to our monthly image-based newsletter at cheeseinrussia.com. If you have any questions or concerns about Russia, please give us a call at plus one, three, four, seven, two, nine, two, seven, one, two, six. If you're not U.S.-based and don't want to pay that sweet money, then give our Skype a call. You can search us just by She's in Russia. All that information is available on our website at She's in Russia. So go check it out there and we will see you next week. Allegedly, his personal money, which he has a lot. <laughs> <laughs>